Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Ford Motor Company was tired of losing. The iconic manufacturer had powered Sir Jackie Stewart to three Formula One championships in the late 60s and early 70s, a glorious chapter in a 40-year partnership, but their newest endeavor was a mess. After three miserable seasons from 1997 to 1999, the Wee Scott sold Stewart Grand Prix to Ford, who called their new team Jaguar Racing. Unfortunately for Ford, Jaguar was doomed as well. In 2004, Ford decided they were done with Formula One and started looking for someone to buy the remnants of Jaguar. Luckily, out of the ashes of stodgy tradition and mediocrity, an energy drink company was eager to take the reins. That's right. Red Bull had decided to launch an official Formula One racing team. Little did the world know that they were about to change racing forever. But how has a team that's been around for less than 20 years become one of the most successful Formula One organizations in the world? Who are the personalities that made Red Bull what it is today? And how does all this lead back to a toothpaste businessman with a wicked case of jet lag? Crack a fresh silo. Because nice. today on Past Gas, we're talking about Red Bull Racing before they were the powerhouse team we know today. Why can you do that? No, tell him to stop going in the pit lane like that. <laughs> that's a uh, that Max real audio from Max Verstappen. That wasn't bad, Max. That was, that was, that was pretty good. That was funny. All right, you can do all the Max quotes if there's any in this okay. episode. <laughs> Your cast, buddy. No. Ah, yes, my first role. Max Verstappen. Hello, everybody. Hello, YouTube, uh, and wherever you're listening to this on. Uh, this is Past Gas. Yeah, wherever you're listening to this on. Yeah, that made sense in my brain. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts. Across from me is Joe Weber. 
What's up, Wink Wink Nation? I'm here for you. And James Pumphrey. You get down off of there. <laughs> <laughs> that's my new that's my new new cool. awesome <laughs> i love new, it new. look for it on our shirt <laughs> get down, you get there. down did, off of there did you ever see will ferrell's snl audition <laughs> yeah. tape it was really funny one of his characters is just a guy yelling for his kid to get off the shed <laughs> yeah they get off it, that shit it, they turned it into a sketch oh, really? SNL, yeah. that's pretty funny yeah we're talking about red bull racing this week uh a team that i was rooting for uh, pretty much the entire time I was watching Formula One from the beginning until Max won the championship. I was and I kind of shocked at how them. how quickly he flipped on them. Well, it's because it it just wasn't right. What's yeah. the opposite of a fair weather fan? Turncoat. I oh, I'll, yeah. take turncoat. I'll take turncoat. Traitor. Traitor. Sure. Yeah. Traitor to the Red Bull Nation. <laughs> hey, they can come at me. I've made. I, I've I've talked about this a bunch Dude, on our other podcast. You're regret. Don't cash I, I checks that you can't. I won't. Because this is right can cash them all. Don't write, don't let your mouth write checks that your ass can't cash. <laughs> they can cash it, all right. You mentioned in the in the intro cracking open a silo of Red Bull. A silo is a 24-ounce can. That would kill oh, someone. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, this is a, these are, you know, famously 8.4 fluid ounces. I'm glad we cleared that up. Okay, so what do you, what do you guys know about a Red Bull? A tube of bull. A tube of bull. I know it used to be goop. It yeah. did. I wrote We're the. Get into that. I think it was the last up to speed ever was on Red Bull. I wrote it, and a lot of it was about the goo. And I was like, "Oh, this should be about cars soon." <laughs> but I mean, goo, goo is sick. People yeah, love like goo. goo. People love slime. People love goo. There should be more like pouches of goo as food. I th- yeah. I thought various slimes and goos was gonna be like, you know how like you thought like. Quicksand was going to be a bigger factor yeah. in your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I d- in the 90s, they were pushing a lot of Gogurt. And there was like, a lot of Gogurt. Uh, like purple ketchup. Exactly. The purple ketchup. Why does goo always got to be sweet or sour? I want like a nice a savory, savory goo. goo. That's a, called a demi-glace. Yeah. <laughs> like a gravy. Yeah. Gravy. Pack- <laughs> that's our new business right there. Packets yeah. of savory edible demi-glace. <laughs> savory, we're a savory goo yeah. company. With maybe some Jack tr- Black mushroom and covered in gravy at the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. <laughs> Beef bourguignon pouches. <laughs> you know, what we do have is a signal award for best road trip podcast. Oh, yeah, thanks to so everyone. Thank who voted. you guys for voting. Thank you for listening to our show. Yes, thank you. And our we, old we war stories. The bronze Siggy <laughs> for ro- best road trip podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Siggy. Today we're talking about Red Bull because this Wednesday, Donut Racing Show, our Formula One podcast, is back. All right, the show is hosted by me, Nolan, as well as motor journalists Alanis King and Elizabeth Blackstock. We're going to switch some stuff up for the second season. We're going to be re- we're going to be recapping major stories, but also doing deeper dives into the world of Formula One. We're going to be going weekly as well, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. It's basically like Infowars, it's but <laughs> about cars. Yeah. yeah. It's like Infowars meets Joe Rogan meets <laughs> Impulsible. Yeah, but with like a racing kind of twist. Yeah, with yeah. a racing yeah. twist. Not too much. Mostly cigars and watches. <laughs> <laughs> and crypto. Yeah. <laughs> my apes are doing horribly. Dude, oh I got one of my apes back, but I'm still missing two. So if anyone sees my apes, don't I buy them. Jimmy Fallon. Return I was like, why'd you sell me this ape, dude? Yeah. Three of my apes got stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because they're like, how do you? Steal? They're digital. Dark the meta. They got the metadata. <laughs> so I got one back. 
Don't ask me how. Uh, but it's two of them are still gone. So if you see my apes, don't buy them. Give them back. <laughs> the year was 1974. Thai businessman Chileo Uwidia whipped up his first batch of Krating Dang, a gnarly <laughs> liquid mix of sugar, water, caffeine, and taurine with a little splash of B12 vitamin. You gotta have that little splash. You got a little splash of B12. The word Krating Dang translates to, maybe you guessed it, Red Bull. And impressively, the label Chileo chose for his product was almost identical to the one we see today. That's pretty rare. It's a pretty sick logo. It's awesome. It's one yeah. of my favorites. I love labels. I love companies. <laughs> Thailand was rapidly industrializing during the 70s, and as a result, Krating Dang became very popular with construction workers around the country. After a long week of working, these blue-collar boys, along with many other Thai folk, enjoyed watching their favorite pastime, kickboxing. And as a result, Uwidia decided that Krating Dang would be the perfect sponsor for the sport, and thus the company's involvement in the world of athletics began. <laughs> We're in a weird mood because we all listen to rap tracks that we recorded 10 years ago, and I instantly started sweating yeah. as soon as I started playing the song. <laughs> it's like, wait, what did I say that afternoon in that recording yeah. studio? <laughs> We're also drinking Red Bull. Yeah. yeah I'm all hyped up. Jittery. I'm jacked. <laughs> About halfway through this, I'm going to crash. <laughs> and you guys aren't going to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to 1984, and people all over Thailand are using Krating Dang to stay alert on the clock. But outside of the country, the super drink doesn't exist. Until an Austrian toothpaste merchant named Diedrich Mateschitz landed in Thailand on a business trip. He's like, oh, I'm, I come from the goo world in Austria. I'm go <laughs> yeah. check out the goo He's a goo magnate of a different sort, <laughs> yeah. The flight from Austria to Thailand is 12 hours with no layover, so Diedrich was extremely jet-lagged when he arrived. Until, as legend has it, someone slapped the can of Krating Dang in his hand. After he slurped that goo down, the jet-lag evaporated, and Diedrich was ready to do some toothpaste business. Nice. <laughs> Which is what I call brushing my teeth. <laughs> Time to go do the, my toothpaste business. <laughs> Diedrich knew... <laughs> You put on a suit, too. Yeah. <laughs> Diedrich knew a genius idea when he saw it and soon tracked down Chileo. The two ambitious businessmen quickly partnered up and tweaked the recipe to fit European tastes by adding carbonation and cutting back on the sweetness. They cut back on the it sweetness? It was more sweet? Europeans. Mm. I can't think of anything sweeter than what I'm drinking right now. Your personality. Aw, thanks. Your disposition. Aw. <laughs> Then, in 1987, Red Bull GmbH was formed. What country has the coolest, like, incorporated? I think Definitely not GmbH. <laughs> oh, I think that is pretty cool. Really? Yeah. I kind of like it. Any any German business is GmbH. Beanhouse? I like GmbH. I, I want to see the movie about Dietrich just, like, jet-lagged and all hopped up on energy goo yeah running around thailand trying to find this chileo guy yeah he's like you'll need to tell me who makes this goo i must meet a man who makes this wonderful goo <laughs> it's one of those cameras that's like strapped to your head so like uh -huh. everything in the background is moving but your head and he's like sweating oh, yeah. and just like, running through the alleys of mm -hmm. thailand <laughs> down for the night top <laughs> 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 but Dietrich, the toothpaste 
After the company was formed, Diedrich then hired a market research firm to test Red Bull's prospects in the West. And the results, guys, they weren't good. They loved it. Oh, yeah. yeah. The participants hated it. Wow. Years later, Diedrich said, quote, People didn't believe the taste, the logos, the brand name. I'd never before experienced such a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but the savvy Austrian ignored the firm's research and took Red Bull Global anyway and began marketing to young professionals and college students. Red Bull would show up at a college campus and hand out cans of Red Bull. And soon enough, the Western world was hooked on that delicious carbonated goo. My friend Allie, uh, Allie Crines, shout out, Allie Crines. Uh, she, she went to Clemson, and her mm. first job in college was driving this little Mini Cooper the around Mini Cooper with, with a, a can on the top. They also had Suzuki X, uh, X90s. Oh, that's cool. Uh, with the can on the back. And she was like, there's something big happening, and I really shouldn't tell you. And I was like, what? She's like, Red Bull's coming out with a 12-ounce can. Whoa. <laughs> that was like huge news. <laughs> wow. Did you let, you had that like in your back pocket when you wanted to like contribute to a conversation? Yeah, Red like, Bull's coming out with a 12-ounce you know, can. I was the first to know. Hmm. <laughs> I could have toppled their business. <laughs> but I didn't. I can keep a secret. Dietrich Meneschitz was a huge fan of auto racing. So in 1989, shouts to Taylor Swift. Red Bull decided to expand beyond kickboxing and sponsor a race car driver, Ferrari F1's Gerhard Berger. My favorite F1 driver is Dom Dom Hot Dog. <laughs> <laughs> the season was far from a fairy tale. Gerhard didn't finish 11 races that season, but in the races that he did finish, he claimed second twice and won once. Whoa. Obviously, the season could have gone better, but Berger's glimmers of hope were enough to keep the company optimistic about their sporting future. As the company entered the 1990s, they expanded their sponsorship net. They focused on extreme sports like skiing, BMX, cliff diving and skateboarding all of which fit their extreme brand identity and street luge street luge <laughs> god what a sick sport i loved watching gravity games and watching the street oh, luge it was all white guys with dreadlocks i can't imagine a worse way to die than being on like <laughs> a rail with eight wheels yeah and sliding under a car <laughs> and suddenly your nose is in your brain yeah what about getting eaten by dogs that sounds fun honestly <laughs> Compared to street luge death? <laughs> I would hate to be eaten by dogs. <laughs> or ants. Ooh, oh, ants would be horrible. Ants. Like Because you in, know they're going to get Jones. in your nose and all your oh, nine yeah. holes. In your throat? Yeah, in and just eat you from the inside out. In your butt, in your butt, your butt. In Honestly, it'd be quite exfoliating, though, so we might feel pretty good for a second. For a second, yeah, you would feel like agony. a new babe, but then they'd get to your organs. A pig can eat a lot of... Human flesh, Turkish. No thanks, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. <laughs> Red Bull also created their own unique events like Flugtag, where contestants to this day drive homemade gliders off a 30-foot high platform in Vienna. Oh, I want to do this. My cousin so did this in uh, Chicago, yeah, and I think he won. Here. He had Whoa. a big hot dog-shaped glider, and what? they all wear hot dog costumes and jumped into the You lake. have a Flugtag award in your family? Yeah. It's no Siggy, but, you know. <laughs> and from there, they got wilder. Red Bull also sponsored events like Soapbox Derby Racing, Cliff Diving, 
double dutch, which is jumping rope, and downhill hockey race. That sounds is sick. crazy. It's insane, dude. It's on ice. You guys are, wait, what? You guys are familiar with this? Yeah. That, yeah. They play hockey. It's called down. Cra- play, uh, crashed ice. Yeah. Uh, they, they, oh. They're wearing like ice skates. And it, there's like jumps yeah. and it's a downhill like park made out of ice. That's crazy. so sick. In 1995, Dietrich decided that he wanted to get more involved in Formula E. <laughs> Red Bull inked a 10-year title sponsorship deal with the Sauber F1 team with drivers Hans Harald Frenzen and Jean-Christophe Bouillon mm. behind the wheel of the Ford <laughs> ZTEC V8-powered Sauber. Heinz, dude, they sponsored a guy named Heinz and a guy named Berger. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. I'm starting to have visions of a summer barbecue. <laughs> Heinz took ninth in the Drivers' Championship, and the team took seventh in the Constructors, the best results in Sauber history. But this wasn't enough for Dietrich. He didn't want to be in seventh. He wanted to be in first. In 1997, Red Bull became a title sponsor for Jackie Stewart's Stewart Grand Prix team, backed by Ford. The season was disappointing. Though the cars were decent midfield runners and driver Rubens Barrichello placed second at the Monaco Grand Prix, the cars were ultimately unreliable. By the end of the season, Stewart Grand Prix had six points out of 17 races, only finished seven of them. By the end of the season, Stewart Grand Prix had six points, and out of the 17 races, they only finished seven of them. They ended the season in ninth place in the Constructors' Championship. 1998 was even worse. Oh, how? Yeah, if you can imagine. After seven races and four retirements, driver Jan 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 driver Jan Magnussen was replaced by Jos Verstappen. Oh, huh? Hmm. Follow the money. <laughs> the father of current Red Bull golden boy Max Verstappen. Why is he good in the lane? He's not supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird to be like. Yes, my family, multi-generation Red Bull racing drivers. <laughs> Red Bull is in our blood. Our blood is energy goo of its own. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. <laughs> it turned out that this swap didn't do much for the team as he only managed to finish three races out of the nine remaining and left Stewart Grand Prix after the season ended. The team ended the season with five points, none won by Yost, by the way, but managed to climb one position in the Constructors to eighth place. There's, uh, I saw a clip from some talk show where Yost and Max were talking to someone, and Yost seems like one of those like sports dads that's like unrelenting. He's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. Also, Max was just talking. <laughs> like they were like. What's the big difference between you and your dad's career? And he's like, well, I've won at least one race. <laughs> <laughs> the next season started off with a bang. Both of the cars overheated while lining up on the grid with small fires breaking out. Oh, good. Fires? Plural? Sheesh, Louise. <laughs> but the team eventually pulled it together and ended the 1999 season in their best ever position. Fourth in the Constructors' Championship. But it wasn't enough for Jackie Stewart, who decided he'd had enough of team ownership and sold his team to Ford outright. Would you like to buy my team? (laughs) We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Ford decided a rebrand was needed and dubbed the kind of old, kind of new team Jaguar Racing. Ford's idea was to use Formula One as a promotional tool for Jaguar, their premium car company. However, despite the branding, the team continued to use Ford Cosworth engines in their cars with no Jaguar engineering whatsoever. That makes sense. The extra funding and publicity that Ford brought to the track was clear from the very first race. The team had kept Stewart driver Johnny Herbert. But- Johnny Herbert. But, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Get down from there. <laughs> Get off that <laughs> but they also hired the 1999 uh, Drivers Championship runner-up Eddie Irvine as his teammate. Eddie, what the hell are you doing right there too? <laughs> you both get down there. We gotta do a race to do. <laughs> Despite this pairing, the new Jaguar team finished ninth out of eleven teams in the Constructors Championship with only four points. Yikes! The team manager Wolfgang Reitzel. Stepped down at the end of the season, and kart racing champion and successful team owner Bobby Rahal stepped in for 2001. The switch-up didn't help the team, and halfway through the season, Jackie hired Nikki Lauda as team manager. Oh, cool. But this didn't really boost team morale. Rahal and Lauda were often at odds with each other. And after Rahal made a joke to rival team Jordan about giving driver Eddie Irvine to them, things had gone too far. This is Nikki Lauda. Quote... Bobby defended the issue by saying it was nothing more than a joke, but unfortunately, jokes like this with existing drivers do not work very well, said Lauda. <laughs> and I should know because I am very funny. <laughs> I stepped in and ended whatever discussion was taking place at the time. Eddie Irvine will line up for Jaguar next season and nothing will change. As a result, Ray Hall was fired due to, quote, operational differences. Despite all the craziness in the paddock, driver Eddie Irvine scored the team's first podium in Monaco, of all places, in third place. And as a result, Jaguar finished eighth out of 11 teams in the Constructors' Championship. Kind of a far cry from fourth. 2002 was another rough one for the team. Nicky Lauda had to effectively perform him... Nicky Lauda had to effectively perform his and Ray Hall's jobs, and even though Jaguar finished seventh this year in the Constructors' Championship, Ford was beginning to get antsy about their investment in a team that couldn't seem to improve. They improve one spot per year. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, but it's not, <laughs> it's not great. Driver Irvine was able to score another third-place finish at Monza, 
but it would be the last podium Jaguar would see in the sport. I still want like a 2004 Lincoln LS because hmm. it's got a Jaguar V8 in it, hmm. and they're super cheap. No one likes them. And it's probably because it's got a Jaguar engine. Probably brakes. But it looks like it looks like a GTA version of like a five series. Yeah, they're um they're interesting looking. I remember someone in high school had one that was like lowered on wheels and it looked pretty good. Oh, it would make a good VIP car, honestly. Mm, mm-hmm. So after four years of management and team personnel turnover, along with hundreds of millions of dollars pumped in the project, Jaguar hadn't come close to Stewart's 1999 success, claiming only two podium finishes. In 85 races. Yeesh. That's really bad. And it probably didn't help that during the team's final season in 2003, Jaguar received a great deal of publicity when two of the team's mechanics won a giveaway for an inflatable donkey from Shrek 2 and began photographing it around the paddock. They even set up a website for the pictures called Donkey Does F1. This is crazy because I watched Shrek 2 last night what? and was in the shower thinking, like, how am I going to incorporate how good a sequel Shrek <laughs> 2 is they into the podcast today? They did it for you. That is you. weird. It's the universe, man. Dude. Dude follow the money. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Shrek, okay. Thing. Now that the door's been opened. And I'm a believer. I had a weird coincidence happen to me last night. I was about to order a pizza, and I was typing to my girlfriend about she was at this fancy restaurant and I was typing the word bougie as this guy behind me was talking to his friend Whoa. saying bougie and I was like Whoa. that's a weird random word to That's crazy. Yeah. Uh just real quick in the discussion of great sequels that are better than the than the original movie you got you got you know people always talk about Terminator 2, Aliens, yeah. what have you. Shrek 2 deserves yeah. to be in that conversation as well. It is phenomenal. Just want you guys to go revisit that film. Okay. <laughs> is, let's that, is that heavy on the gingerbread man? At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Jaguar's PR team. I can't believe that happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jaguar's, you have to get over it. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm past it. Jaguar's PR team unfortunately banned Donkey as soon as they caught wind of the joke, but it was too late. Allegedly, allegedly, Donkey had become a symbol of resistance for the team, who were increasingly worried about their jobs, something that boiled over once Ford announced that the team was up for sale. At the season finale in Brazil, it was announced that Donkey would be auctioned off to benefit the charity Children in Need, and the majority of the drivers, as well as Formula One CEO Bernie Ecclestone, signed it. The inflatable Donkey was sold in December 2005. Nobody knows where it is today. If you know where it is today, it's in a private collection. Yeah, yeah. James, I would love to hear. It's at the Getty. Your impression of Jackie Stewart getting mad over seeing the donkey around the paddock. Well, maybe one day you will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Ford decided. I like the. Uh, I like how it's ma- the majority of the drivers. So, like, some of the drivers were like, "Nah, <laughs> <laughs> it's for charity." Yeah, I don't know. nah. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, Ford decided to sell the whole operation to Red Bull in September of 2004 for a symbolic $1 price after Diedrich and company committed $400 million to the team over the next three seasons. It's a lot to commit. Yeah. In a deal that included Jaguar's Milton Keynes headquarters, along with their wind tunnel and test facilities in Barchester and Bedford, Diedrich and Red Bull finally had their own team for the 2005 Formula One season. Upon the purchase, Red Bull head of development, Mark Gallagher, said, quote, what is this, What's the way this guy talks, you think? How about, like, Gallagher? Yeah. 
Many of F1 sponsors coming to F1 because it's sexy and exciting. And then bring their corporate joylessness with them and take all the sexiness and excitement out. They've made the sport so elite that fans have been alienated. Red Bull aims to reverse that. Smash! What <laughs> <laughs> uh, a crack another Red Bull. Yeah. yeah. Okay. See you later. Right. <laughs> it's just this podcast is gonna get like increasingly fast <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah, and loud. Manish's first move was the higher <laughs> to principal, okay? <laughs> Manishitz's first move was to hire a new team principal. He first asked Gerhard Berger, their old driver, but when he declined, Dietrich went to his second choice. A former Formula 3000 driver named Christian Herner. Mm, uh, oh, guys. The horn dog. <laughs> horn dog. Horner was a talented <laughs> driver in his own right, racing in Formula 3000 until the late 90s. Formula 3000. The then 25-year-old convinced a few investors, including his father. Uh, Christian then persuaded P1 Motorsport founder Raleigh Vincini to take on the role of his race engineer, bought a second-hand trailer from Helmut Marco, and was eventually joined at Arden by driver Kurt Mullikins. However, it was during a preseason test that Christian followed driver Juan Pablo Montoya during a high-speed corner when he realized he was not capable of replicating that level of commitment that his competitor had. As a result, he decided to hang up those racing coveralls once and for all and focus on management. There is something kind of admirable about being like, nah, you know what? <laughs> this guy's clearly better yeah, than me. I yeah. don't have, or, or just like, I'm not really willing to do that. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that is pretty mature for a 25 year old. Arden won three straight Formula 3000 team and drivers titles from 2002 to 2004. It was around this time that Christian started looking for an opportunity to move into Formula One. Fortunately for him, this was also when Dietrich Mateschitz was ready to hire a new team principal. In January 2005, Christian was hired to head the Red Bull team, which made him the youngest team principal in F1 history at only 32 years old. Horner's effects were immediately felt in Red Bull's first official season of 2005. He oversaw construction of their new car, which used a Cosworth engine and chassis from the old Jaguar, something that significantly <laughs> eased the financial load. Horner was also bullish on signing David Coulthard and Christian Kine as their drivers. Red Bull claimed more points in their first two races than Jaguar had the entire previous season That's and cool. finished in a respectable seventh place in the 2005 Constructors' Championship. That's Not bad great. for a new team, especially considering Horner only had eight weeks of lead time before the first race of the season. Wow. That is pretty crazy. It That's takes us nothing. longer to shoot videos. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> to top off their successful year, Christian Horner signed revolutionary designer Adrian Newey as chief technical officer in the offseason. So things at Red Bull Racing were about to get a whole lot Red Bullier. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn more about Adrian Newey in our episode about his life from back in March of last year. Uh, that is episode 129. By joining Red Bull, Adrian Newey was taking on a significant challenge. The six-time Constructors title holder was a savant with aerodynamics and engineering. However, his previous teams, Williams and McLaren, had decades of championship pedigree. Red Bull Racing had nothing. In an interview this past December, Newey recalled, quote, 
Rainbow Racing was always that. <laughs> <laughs> Nui recalled, Red Bull was always having big discos. Was this team that would be taken seriously? But if you went beneath that veneer, then to me it looked like, yes, it had all the building blocks. Just trying to win races with a new team was something that really intrigued me. I'm so intrigued. Really got me going. Keep talking really got about my blood building popping, blocks. And I love Red Bull, the drink. Uh, I put it in my teacup so I feel fancy when I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Nui joined Red Bull midway through 2006, so he didn't have a huge influence on the car's design that season. Red Bull switched from Cosworth power units to Ferrari, but the results weren't as spectacular as anticipated. David Coulthard scored Red Bull's first podium in Monaco, but overall they finished with 18 points less than they had in 2005 and faced a growing challenge from its newly founded junior sister team, Scuderia Toro Rosso. That was as early as 2006? Wow, yeah, I didn't know that. Whoa. Here's a little quick tangent about Toro Rosso. The team made its debut in 2006 after Paul Stoddart sold his remaining interest in the Minardi team to Diedrich Mateschitz. Toro Rosso was founded to serve as the junior team to Red Bull with the goal of developing its drivers for the senior team and is today known as AlphaTauri. So there you go. Must be nice to have a feeder team, eh? Yeah. Anyway, the first complete car Nui developed at Red Bull was the RB3, which was powered by the Renault RS26 engine. There were mechanical issues and at least one retirement in each of the first seven races of the 2007 season. But mid-season updates improved pace and reliability, which led to their best finish at the European Grand Prix, where Mark Webber claimed third and David Couthard fifth. Is Mark Webber Australian? Uh, I believe so. I thought he was German. No, no. He's oh. Australian. Mark <gasps> Webber. Mark Webber. <laughs> Red Bull finished. I love Webb burgers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is that that show, that show where the Weber family has a burger place and the mom is a real? <laughs> <laughs> you better watch out. I'm gonna go die. We're gonna kick your ass. I used to do a character called Out of Breath Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> like, hey, thanks for having me over for dinner. Should I elevate your elevator's broken? Here's a, glass of, here's a bottle of wine. Is Donnie here yet? <laughs> Red Bull finished 07 with a respectable fifth place in the Constructors' Championship, showing the world that they were a team on the rise. We're a team on the rise. That's the montage of them doing well in the movie. We're We're a team on the rise, team on the rise, team on the rise is Red Bull racing. (laughs) Honestly, us drinking all this Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) It's really uh, episode crazy. Oh, I had a cold brew (laughs) (laughs) on my way to work. I was like, it'd be funny if I just stacked all these Red Bulls up in front of us. You know, very tempting. They're tasty. Yep. (laughs) They feel they drink like we talked about this before. They taste like zots. Yeah, they taste like a zot, Mm. and you look like a thought. <laughs> By the halfway mark, that host over there. I do have the biggest cake. Yeah, the donut. you got a dumpy. Joe walks into a room and his butt comes in five minutes later. <laughs> Bag it up. Beep beep beep. But you so see that big, tr- you can see it from Joe. the front. <laughs> By the halfway mark of the 2008 season, Red Bull was in contention for fourth place in the constructors' championship. David Couthard finished third in Canada, but the but the team scored only five points in the last several races, dropping them to seventh overall at the season's end. 
Additional salt in the wound was that Red Bull's Renault-powered RB4 was being consistently overshadowed by its Ferrari-powered sister team, Toro Rosso. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. You can't have the apprentice overshadowing the master. You know, it's like Nolan getting more views than me. (laughs) 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 No, I just did the Kermit meme. Makes me want (laughs) to chase this Red Bull with a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) However, significant aerodynamic rule changes came in the 2009 season, which meant Nui was allowed to basically start from scratch. Time to go to work, chaps. All right, Nui, time to show them why they hired you. (laughs) This clean slate would prove to be a massive turning point for Red Bull Racing. And so would the promotion of a Toro Rosso driver named Sebastian Vettel. I have a weird pain in my chest. (laughs) (laughs) What? From Red Bull? I think so. I'm going to ignore it. (laughs) Yeah, ignore it. That's what I did. Yeah. Young Seb began kart racing at the age of three. Three! And in 1998, the 11-year-old was accepted into the Red Bull Junior Team, a development program for up-and-coming talent. Vettel torched his way up the racing circuit during his teen years, claiming prestigious titles at the Junior Monaco Kart Cup in 2001, right before 9-11 happened. The Formula (laughs) BMW ADAC Championship in 2004 and runner-up in the 2006 Formula 3 Euro Series. Seb was leading the 2007 Formula Renault 3.5 Series Championship when he was called up to be a test driver for BMW Sauber Formula 1 team midway through the season. My parents have video videotape of me as like a four-year-old at my first go-kart track. Yeah. Mm. And I'm doing great. And I look super serious. <laughs> like, I'm just like, Dude, you could have so, been an American F1 driver. I know. I can't, like, my parents are like, oh, he loves it. This seems like a great passion for him. And then they just never. Yeah, <laughs> let then they me stopped do it again. raising you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shouts to Joe's parents for screwing that one up. No, they had other <laughs> going on. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas. But right now, a word from our sponsors. At the time of his race debut, Seb was 19 years and 53 days old. Someone had to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, they start with the day he was born. One. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at a calendar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is a leap year. Got to start over. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to figure out leap years. What? You got to add leap years. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it is kind of hard. I know how I would do it, but it would take me a minute. The youngest driver, because you got to figure out. If he was born on a leap year or not. Yeah, and you mm. can't just go back on a computer. You have to find old calendars of each year. Yeah. Because you don't know if it's accurate online. Yeah. He was the youngest driver at 19 years, 53 days to take part in an F1 race weekend. But he quickly proved that he could hang with the big boys. Drivers twice his age. Vettel stunned the field when he recorded the fastest test time in his first free practice at the 2006 Tackish Grand Prix, and then did it again at the next GP in Italy. Vettel also set the record for collecting his first penalty nine seconds into his career as the driver exceeded the pit lane speed limit on the way to the track. In 2007, BMW promoted Vettel from his test driver role to replace Robert Kubica at the U.S. Grand Prix 
where he started in seventh and finished in eighth, setting yet another record as the youngest driver to score a point in Formula One. That youthful record, among many others, has since been broken by Max Verstappen, who we'll talk about more later, because if we didn't talk about him, we'd be bad at our job. (laughs) After his stellar showing with BMW, Sebastian moved to Red Bull's F1 little sister, Toro Rosso, where he took the 2008 season by storm. Actually, by storm might be a little (laughs) generous compared to what he was destined to do in his second season, but his rookie campaign was good, okay? (laughs) Despite pissing off teammates, competitors, and F1 officials more than once, 21-year-old Seb became the youngest driver to ever win a Formula One Grand Prix when he took the Italian stage by a whopping 12 seconds. Again, Max Verstappen would eventually shatter this record as an 18-year-old, but Sebastian's win was still massive and led to him being named Rookie of the Year at the 2008 Autosport Awards. He was also dubbed Baby Shumi after the GOAT, Michael Schumacher, by the German press. That's what people call me, too. Baby Shumi? Yeah, because I kind of look like Amy Schumer. Schumer, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who... Kind of looks like an adult baby. <laughs> yeah, and you come full so circle. So you can imagine how much of a baby I look like. Yeah. Naturally, Red Bull decided to promote Sebastian to Red Bull Racing for 2009, where Seb got along famously with Adrian Newey's RB5 and won the Chinese GP with teammate Mark Webber finishing second. Mark Webber! Mark. Get down from there, you son of a bitch! There's <laughs> <laughs> all these drivers climbing that thing. <laughs> I know it's fun, but it's dangerous. It's wet. It's raining. You're going to get struck by lightning, Webb. <laughs> Mark Webber's your brother, right? <laughs> yeah. He he wants to distance. He's like uh, estranged uh, from our family, yeah. so he added a B to his name. Maybe that's why your parents didn't let you do karting, because Mark oh, was such a racer, no, and then he left the family part. Yeah. This was Red Bull's first ever race win. Five more wins followed as the team dominated the last half of the 2009 season. Seb finished in second in the Drivers' Championship, while Red Bull finished second in the Constructors. Nice. You know what's weird is you're also a Lewis fan, right? Mm. But they have been winning for so long. Yeah. They're likable as winners, whereas Red Bull is kind of unlikable well, the as winners. the way that they won was just kind of greasy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, like, not exciting yeah. at all. No. Yeah. I actually feel bad for Max because it's, like, you're not going to, like, be, like, no, I don't want to win, right, but right, right. it's yeah. just, like, kind of a crummy way to win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Michael Massey. So I Massey, feel bad for Max. I do. Michael Massey was rightfully fired after Keeps that. Me up at night. How's he feel, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm pretty good. It's tainted. <laughs> you know? He's probably sitting in his weird bachelor <laughs> apartment with no furniture, with his sim in the corner. It's so complaining funny. about the Wi-Fi. It's so funny that's like in the corner. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, the 2010 RB6 changed everything. The team took 15 out of a possible 19 pole positions. And at 23 years old, Vettel became the youngest world driver's champion in the sport's history, a record that still stands to this day. Adrian Newey became the most successful F1 designer ever when he won the Constructors' Championship for a record third team. The next season, Vettel and the RB7 were nearly untouchable, scoring 11 wins and 15 poles, while Weber took three poles and one win of his own. Sebastian ended the season as the youngest ever 
double and back-to-back world champion. And the team celebrated their second consecutive Constructors' Championship. The team was on a roll, guys. And then they threw him to the Sharks. <laughs> they threw him out like so many old garbages. Uh, actually, in 2012, a band <laughs> on the exhaust blown diffusers in 2012 complicated the development of the RB8. But Brainiac Adrian Newey... <laughs> Way to go, Brainiac. <laughs> ...continued to push technical boundaries. He drew his fair share of controversy over additions like floor holes and engine maps, but in the end, it was all legal, and the results spoke for themselves. The team claimed another Constructors title. Mark Weber took two checkered flags, and Seb took five, including four of the last seven, which sealed his third consecutive driver's Jeez championship. Jeez Louise, this yeah. guy sure can drive. Yep. You know, Adrian Newey would probably say, controversy. 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 The 2013 F1 season. holes in the floor. <laughs> the 2000. do it like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> Trust five me, horsepower. I'm a brainiac. <laughs> Last time I checked, your door to your office didn't say brainiac on it. Mine did. So why don't you cut a hole in that floor? Why don't you watch some old episodes of Fred Flintstone and tell me I'm wrong? Yeah, have you ever seen how fast a Flintstone gets to work? <laughs> the 2013 <laughs> F1 season was a bit of a roller coaster, but fantastic nonetheless. Newey's RB9 was supremely fast, but even after Seb won the first two races, he and his increasingly jealous and agitated teammate, Mark Webber, suggested that tire issues kept them from going full speed. After Newey made some magical tweaks, Weber and Vettel utterly dominated the second half of the season. Vettel won the last nine races and won the Drivers' Championship in one of the most dominant performances ever seen in the sport. Newey wrapped up his fourth straight Constructors' crown, while Sebastian's driver title streak of four put him alongside racing icons like Alan Prost and Juan Manuel Fangio. That's quick. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective, Joe. Formula One is the most difficult, most expensive, and most prominent racing series in the world. And a team that didn't exist less than a decade before is absolutely thrashing teams that have been there for over a century, like Ferrari. It's basically like what MLB did uh, expanded in the 90s and then uh, the freaking, you know, the Diamondbacks Marlins. Come yeah, yeah. Mm. They come and win a World Series out yeah. of nowhere, whereas the Brewers, who have been around since 1969, have made it to... The World Series one time in the 80s and lost. Yeah, because they're too busy eating all that cheese. <laughs> you leave cheese out of this. <laughs> you know it's a problem. <laughs> cheese has been weaponized in our office lately. <laughs> this is an update for all our past gas listeners. Uh, Michigan has declared war against Wink Wink Nation oh, and God. the state of Wisconsin. Porter declared war. He's from Michigan. And our wow. production manager is from Detroit. And he threatened to take away all the cheese from the office. So that's what's going on right now. On the heels of Red Bull's stunning championship run, Adrian Newey was approached by Ferrari in 2014. Newey was basically offered the world. Ferrari wanted to put Newey in charge of both road and race cars and pay him double what he was making with Red Bull. Newey said it was a difficult decision it cost me a lot of sleepless nights deciding what to do and who to go for. In the end, it would have felt wrong to walk out on Red Bull. What Whoa. an idiot. Yeah, that's Our money. Money, Adrian. You ever heard of it? It's called you use it to buy crap that you want. <laughs> it's pretty much the best thing on the planet. <laughs> 
I am not loyal. Like, <laughs> good to know. You're loyal to money. Yeah, the only thing I'm loyal to is money. The only people James is loyal to? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. George Washington. Two guys Ike Eisenhower. Benjamin and Franklin. The Benjamin Franklin. Thomas Jefferson. And... Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> and Sacagawea. And Sacagawea. <laughs> and all of the states. <laughs> Quarters. So actually a lot more than you th- thought. <laughs> and not Roosevelt, because he's not on anything. <laughs> With Newey safely in the paddock, Red Bull's 2014 season began with a wonky Renault power unit, but they bounced back to finish second to Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. Daniel Ricardo, who signed Nolan's mini-fridge. He did. Mm-hmm. It's a little piece of donut lore for you guys. It's a Red Bull mini-fridge. It's a Red Bull mini-fridge. It is signed by Daniel Ricardo mm-hmm. himself. I have one of his hats. It's very small. Did you take the mini fridge to a race? No, to our office. It was oh. in my in the trunk of my car, and then uh, Daniel Ricardo was in town. Some higher ups at Donut were having lunch with him, mm. so uh, Phil and I went over to where they're having lunch, and I got you his autograph. Carried in your mini fridge? It was in the trunk still. But you, oh, okay, yeah, he came out to my car. Yeah. Oh, cool. Signed. Oh yeah, I'll sign that. Oh, you gasser. Yeah, mate. No, he called me worse names than that. Uh, <laughs> he is quite a vulgar guy. I don't think a lot of. Uh, but he's always smiling. No, so he's, he can a, never he's take a nice offense. guy. I'm just yeah. saying, like a lot of. I think a lot of the uh, the like newer like drive to survive quote fans yeah. do not realize that he is a vulgar man. He's yeah. so funny. Yeah. I just noticed you're drinking. You have two open cans. <laughs> one one is a sugar free, and one is a regular Red yeah, Bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to hit that right mix. Gotta get that. <laughs> o- you gotta get that octane level yeah, right, just right. I don't, I don't like 87 or 89. I got I like an 86. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo replaced Mark Webber and immediately made his presence felt when he took three victories. Meanwhile, Sebastian Vettel won another record. He became the first champion since 1998 to fail to win a single race the year after a title. Whoa, that's a bummer. Yeah. As a reaction to his startling drop in the standings, Seb took his talents to Ferrari at the end of the year. I like Seb. Me too, Mm, everybody does. In the 2015 season, Red Bull was low on speed and suffered from reliability issues. Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel's replacement, Daniel Kvyat, only got onto the podium three times, and RBR finished fourth in the Constructors' standings, their worst result in seven years. Luckily for Red Bull, however, a baby-faced renegade <laughs> that went by the name of Max Verstappen was about to make history in the coming a year. A little Dutch boy with chocolate around his mouth. <laughs> Enter Max Verstappen. He pulled his finger out of the dam, <laughs> got into a race car, uh, put on his tulip covered put on his tulip helmet. covered helmet and his wooden freaking shoes. <laughs> oh, the guys, the clip, guys clop, too, clip clop clip clop all the, the way down too pit small lane. <laughs> Went freaking wooden shoes. covered himself in flowers. 
did a midsummer thing. <laughs> I think that was more like Norway or Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's eating chocolate regardless. <laughs> Probably some pickled shark. <laughs> mm, I do want to try that. What's that called again? Pickled shark? Yeah. Vostin's Stop or Starpin or something? Starpin. <laughs> Definitely that. Big old, big old Farm jar from Starpin. Oh, it's called Far From Starvin. Because <laughs> when you're eating it, you are. <laughs> far from Starvin on the Far From Starvin. <laughs> Starpin's Far From Starvin. <laughs> Red Bull discovered a prodigy with Sebastian Vettel, and in 2016, they introduced the world to another. Max Verstappen was born to race. His father, Jos, also competed in Formula One, as we mentioned. But didn't win a lick. Yep, and his mom, Sophie Kumpen, drove in several kart formulas. Oh, What? Needless to say, Max followed in his parents' footsteps, showing his genius through the kart and Formula 3000 circuits before getting called up to Toro Rosso in 2014 at 17 years old. Holy crud. Yeah. When I was 17, I didn't even race in any professional series. <laughs> when I was 17, I moved into my first house uh, outside of my parents, and I didn't know that you had to tip the window AC unit like to face outside. And so it just dripped into my room <laughs> and like soaked the carpet. <laughs> and it was like months before someone was like, you should tip it so it drips outside. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump forward to 2016. Before the Russian Grand Prix, Red Bull announced that 18-year-old Max would replace Daniel Kafiat to join Daniel Ricciardo and drive for the big boys. However, despite Red Bull's new partnership with Honda and a much more reliable Renault power unit, the team was always a step behind Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes. Then Max shocked the world by winning the Spanish Grand Prix and displaced Vettel as the youngest driver to do so. Max is 18 years and 228 days old. Wow. In his first eight races with Red Bull, Max achieved six top five finishes, including four podiums. Dude, it was so exciting to be watching at this time because, like, you could tell that this kid was really good during the Toro Rosso days. The Toro Rosso wasn't a super fast car necessarily, but Max was able to do some really fun passes with it, and you're just like, man, this kid's going to be so good. And then when he moves up to Red Bull, you're like, oh, yeah, he is really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 2017 and 2018. He is really good. <laughs> <laughs> we're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. 2017 and 2018. I feel like I'm on coke right now. <laughs> so much Red Bull pumping through know, my veins. I this was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> 2017 and 2018 were disappointing years for Red Bull, thanks to issues with the Renault power unit. Let me just get a little. <laughs> yeah, man. Are you, you doing a gummy with your Red Bull? <laughs> Nolan is dipping his finger in the Red Bull and rubbing it on mm, his gums. Mm. Call it a gummy. <laughs> Legalize it. <laughs> Both years, the team placed third in the constructors behind Mercedes and Ferrari, but there was hope in 2019 when Red Bull switched from Renault to Honda. The 2019 tra- <laughs> the 2019 transition from Woo! Renault to Honda was impressively smooth. Max won four Grand Prix and more or less carried the team. Daniel had left the team in 2018 for Renault, and both drivers that Horner pulled up, Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon, didn't make the impact the team was hoping for. 
I remember this part in Drive to Survive because it was very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't know what to do. He's <laughs> like, I think I'm going to leave. And then just jumps in the ocean with his shoes on <laughs> from like this 30-foot cliff. <laughs> By 2020, after Albon only achieved two podium finishes all season, he was replaced by Sergio Perez for the 2021 season. 2021 was a wild season, as many of our listeners know. With the help of Perez, Max won 11 of 22 races and brought Red Bull to their first driver's championship since 2013. We've talked a lot about that season a lot because it was super controversial. Not going to dig into it too much. Um, this is what I, yeah, I like stopped kind of like rooting for Max and yeah. Red Bull because he of like treated this. his teammate like absolute trash. Well, that yeah. was last season. In 2021, yeah. the relationship was a lot better. Um, yes. But yes, he has. He's done some some bad. Sergio helped him block so much, yep. and yep. helped him win the championship. And when it came time for Sergio to get enough points to beat Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc. and get second, yeah, uh, Max was not there for him and said, "No, I'm not gonna let him pass." Yeah. So this season should be interesting with that dynamic kind of set in stone. Now, if you want to hear more about this upcoming season. Make sure to to listen to Donut Racing Show on Wednesday. Gotta listen to it. I'm so excited to hear it. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> Despite designer, Lord of Mercy. <laughs> Despite an early challenge by Ferrari, Red Bull dominated Formula One season in 2022. Again, teammate Sergio proved to be a fantastic supporter for Max, who slaughtered the field with 15 wins to retain the driver's crown. In the shadow of Max's feet was the fact that Red Bull dethroned Mercedes after eight straight constructors' titles. The year wasn't without its controversies, though. Red Bull was found to have engaged in team spending that exceeded the $145 million budget cap by 1.6%, about $500,000. And though they're facing some penalties this year, it left a bad taste in the mouth of many fans. They tried to say that it was all like catering costs. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm I'd right like now. to see a yeah. half a million dollars worth of chicken tendies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is probably Max's favorite food. Chicken tendies. I like butter sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) Christian Horner had this to say about the controversy. We've always stuck by the principles that we're a race team here to go racing. Christian Horner said after Verstappen locked his second straight F1 championship with four races to go. We're not afraid to take difficult and bold decisions. We're not a corporately driven organization. We've always been independent and a little maverick, which is kind of redundant because have you ever seen Tom Cruise? (laughs) He is a little maverick. (laughs) (laughs) Christian Horner said Verstappen's second title was a beautiful tribute to Red Bull co-founder and owner Diedrich Mateschitz, who passed away on October 22nd, 2022. A misty-eyed Horner said of his boss and close friend, quote, He had a dream, which was to have a Formula One team. He did that, and in the end, he had two. (laughs) He gave us all an opportunity. He believed in us. He backed us. And this is for him. We are just tremendously grateful for everything he has done for us as individuals, as a team, 
And we are going to celebrate his honor tonight. Energy goes on me. <laughs> <laughs> From Adrian Newey to Sebastian Vettel to Max Verstappen, to think that some of the most important racing figures of the last 50 years took a chance and stayed loyal to a company who started off with no racing credentials is pretty wide. As for Christian Horner, his 18-year run at Red Bull makes him the longest-serving team principal in Formula One. He's led the team to fifth on the all-time wins list with 92 victories, only behind big boys Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, and Williams, all of whom have been around for over half a century. And he's married to Ginger Spice. Ginger Spice! So he's yeah. hashtag winning. Hashtag he winning. winning. Uh, turns out he did want to be her lover, and he did get with her friends. <laughs> <laughs> Ginger. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to Caden Ellisans for making us a law firm logo with the Harley badge. Uh, it's pretty great, and I told him I'd give him a shout out. Hell yeah, good. Uh, nice shout out to Caden. Uh, we got some fan mail this week. Hi, Nolan, Joe, and James. I'm a 12-year-old from Australia, and I've been watching Donut Media since 2018, which is like half their life. <laughs> wow. uh, I can't wait for the next video or podcast you guys make. You guys are the best automotive channel. Thank you very much. And podcast, thank you very much. Keep Aww, it up, you thanks. legends. I have one question for you all. What did you do before Donut? Oh. Joe, how did you start I was off? a chef for about 12 years and was desperately trying to get out of that kitchen. <laughs> uh, Joe and I met because we used to both do comedy, mm -hmm. like improv and sketch comedy. Joe did stand-up. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did before Donut. I was a comedian and an actor. That's it. A successful yeah. one, too. You've been on a bunch of shows. Not successful enough, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I was in college. I needed an internship, and Donut gladly had me on board. It was cool. Mm -hmm. And then now here we are. This is your first job? First, like, career. I've had a lot of jobs before this, but, like, mm -hmm. first, like, career job. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Worked in machine shop, worked in warehouse, yeah. worked in Vons. You went to school for theater. TV? Uh, yeah, I did TV production was my thing. Yeah. Well, like, the opposite in 2020 during the pandemic, kids went to TV for school. Whoa, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that letter was from Morris from Australia. Big, th big thanks to Morris. Someone wrote us a, an email and said they love hearing me eating snacks all the time. I don't eat any snacks during this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> just wanted to make that clear, put that out there. If you think I'm eating snacks, you got another thing coming. <laughs> follow the boys at Joe G. Weber, at James Pumphrey. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. If you'd like, go subscribe to the Donut Racing Show for more Formula One news. Big thank you to our producers this week. We got... Christina Felski, as always, and Gavin Kinzel, as always. And our writer, Luke Klompin. Luke Klompin, uh, just clomping at the bit. Cl oh, he's Dutch, too. Clomp, 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 clomp. Wooden shoes, wooden shoes, pickle shark, pickle shark. All right, I'm going to go take some CBD to offset this caffeine. It's <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.